0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right. Our passage this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while... The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, Gene. We are nearly concluded with our series in First Peter called Where Is Your Hope? If you have been here the last uh, couple of weeks, we've talked about suffering. We've talked about humility. We're going to talk about humility again today because as you heard, as Gene read the passage, there is something going on in the world that is not human. It is a spiritual force And we call him the devil, and he's a factor. We have to consider what is going on with the spiritual forces in this world. Peter draws our attention to it here, and we'll see later that uh, James and Paul also draw our attention to how we stand firm in our faith against the powers of the devil. So we need to talk about that. But before we do, I want to remind you that you have lots of competing hopes that we still need to address, because... Every time we talk about humility, every time we talk about making Jesus Lord of our life, these things are going to be in the back of our mind. The relationships that we have, the possessions that we seek, right? whatever it is, whether it's your achievements or it's yourself, you just can't get your own self out of the way when you think about Jesus being Lord of your life. You're like, yeah, but I like me being Lord of my life. I like having my hope in myself. I am confident in myself. Some of you are even taught to say that you are confident in yourself. Some of you have been to uh, lifestyle or life affirming coaches, right? People who have told you it's important to believe in yourself. And so your hope is in yourself. And the fact is when our hope is in anything other than Jesus, we have a problem. We have a problem because Jesus is our only hope. And this is what Peter says throughout the book of First Peter, and this is what Brooks has been saying as he's been preaching through this book. Jesus can be our only hope that lasts because he is the only hope that lasts. It, he can't be another hope. It has to be him. So we definitely have a problem if our hope is anything other than Jesus. But Peter, this week, in this passage, is saying it may be worse than you think. There might be something going on that you're not paying attention to. You see, there is this guy, Satan. And the devil, Satan, is our adversary. That's what his name means, is adversary or accuser. And he, he wants to use those things that we hope in, that are not Christ, to tempt us. That's his MO. That's his battle plan. That's his game plan. If you look at how he tempts Jesus... That's exactly what he does. He takes those things that are prideful for us as humans, those things that we lust after, that we desire, that we don't really need sometimes. Sometimes it's the things that we do need, right? Sometimes it's things like food and drink and clothing and shelter and those sorts of things. But often it's just the things that we don't even need. And he uses those to tempt us. His playbook is clear. If you read scripture, if you read Matthew, and I'll point you to the reference later, it's clear what Satan is going to do to tempt you. He's going to ask you to be proud He's asking you not to be humble. So that's obvious, but we can't ignore the fact that he's asking. We can't ignore the fact that he is an adversary and that he wants to accuse us. And he wants to accuse us because he himself has fallen. If you read Genesis right at the beginning, right, right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, when Satan goes to Adam and Eve, he is asking them to be proud in the exact same way that he was proud. He held himself up next to God and said, I should be, I should be like God. And so he said to Adam and Eve, look, eat this fruit. God didn't say you're going to die. God doesn't want you to be like him. So he tempts them with the same temptation that he had. Be proud like I am proud, and he's going to tempt us in the same way. It's important before we go any further that we, we know who Satan is, because we have lots of false ideas about who Satan is. You know that the Bible never describes Satan as a red-skinned giant with a tail and horns? Nowhere in there. Read it, cover to cover. you'll never find it. It describes Satan as an angel, a fallen angel, but an angel of light, who's beautiful.? Right? He had reason to think he had reason to think he should be elevated and looked at above all others. That's how how the Bible describes Satan, not as as an imp, not as something that goes bump in the night. Where does that come from? That comes from Hollywood, and before Hollywood, it comes from Renaissance paintings, right? It comes from Greek mythology. It comes from all kinds of places, but it doesn't come from Scripture. So when you think of the devil, don't think of that guy, because that's not the devil. The Bible's going to describe him also, alternatively, as a roaring, prowling lion. And think about how proud that image is, right? A lion announces he is coming to kill you. A lion roars. He says, here I am. And then he comes and eats you, right? So that's, that's our adversary. How do we resist him? Peter's really clear. He says, at the end Uh, of the section that we talked about previously last week, Uh, first couple verses of chapter five. He says, clothe yourself in humility. And he starts this passage with be humble, therefore, because he understands that resisting the devil has a lot to do with being humble, of recognizing that you cannot be Lord of your life. And he understands also that our resistance has to be proactive. It can't be reactive. You guys understand the difference? Reactive resistance is when you, you learn too late that there's a problem and then you start to push back, right? It's when your tires are already spinning in mud and then you lay on the gas. That's not helpful. It doesn't get you anywhere. It just makes the problem worse. So it has to be proactive. We have to be thinking ahead about how we're going to handle this. And it's going to involve obedient trust in the Lord. Peter ends this passage with describing who God is and what God does. And he's going to ask us to trust in that God and to believe in him for who he is. And we have to do that obediently. We have to trust in that God, in our Savior, if we want to resist the devil. Pray with me. Let's talk about this. Lord Jesus, open our eyes to these words, to your words, to Peter, to us. Help us to understand what it means to resist the spiritual forces that are in this world because Often we don't see it. Lord, we see, we see something we want. We see a relationship we wish we had. We're tempted by those things. And we don't understand, Lord, that there's a prowling lion seeking to devour us. Lord, we see people that we ought to love and we see them as competition. And we don't understand there's somebody waiting to accuse us. Lord, help us to see the truth and help us to understand what you would have us do about it. I pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Peter starts this passage, he says, "Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This begs the question, if he has to tell us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, who is the Lord of our life? he wouldn't have to tell us if God was the Lord of our life, right He would not have to say to us, humble yourselves because we 'd already be humble. We'd already be submitting to the Lord of our life. So who is the Lord of our life? Is it you? Is it your spouse? Is it your job? What is it? Either you're humble before God or you're not. There's not an either or here. You cannot be humble before God on Sunday and then humiliate, right? There's similar words, humble yourself before your job six other days out of the week then you have humbled yourself to your job and not to God. So which is it? Who is Lord of your life? Peter is telling us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. He's saying, here is a person who is worth humbling yourself before. Why? Because he cares for you. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But understand, God wants to exalt you at the proper time. God has a plan for you that involves raising you up, but his timing is better than your timing. And he loves you. He wants to do this for you. He cares for you. It's his kindness, Paul says in Romans, that leads us to repentance. So he loves us. He wants this for us. But he also wants to be Lord of our life. So we have to be humble before him. So ask yourself these questions. Do you give all of yourself to your job? When you get up in the morning, are you thinking about work before you ever get out of bed? And when you go to sleep at night, are you thinking about it before you fall asleep? Are you living for sporting events? And I'm not talking about those of you who are athletes, because if you are professional athletes, right, whether in college or or moving on to the next level, then sports is your job. I'm talking about those people who live for Sunday football and Monday night football and Thursday football, Right? I'm talking about those people who have made sporting events or games or entertainment of some kind lord of their life. We're thinking about it when they get up in the morning and thinking about it when they go to bed at night. Or your self-image. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about those people who spend too much time in front of a mirror. Right? That's, that's not it. I'm talking about people, again, who have made themselves into a God, who are more concerned with how they appear to the world than what they do in the world. Or what they do to their family. What about going in debt to own toys? Now, some of you may be struggling with this right now for real, right? Like you're looking at uh, that Christmas tree or you're looking at those gifts that your kids want and you're like, how many of these can we afford? But some of you are bigger and you seek out bigger toys and you have motorized vehicles in your garage that you drive once a year, but you make payments on every month that becomes a Lord in your life. You have humiliated yourself. You've humbled yourself so that you can own a thing. This is something that we do. And if you're currently humbling yourself before anything that receives the majority of your time and attention, right, and it's not God, then you're practicing idolatry. You have made that thing into a God for yourself. And sometimes it's you, and sometimes it's a vision of family, and sometimes it's any of these things, right? So Peter understands this. Peter knows Peter knows that we have to humble ourselves. He understands that even though God is good, and even though he loves us and wants to exalt us at the right time, that we are tempted by these things. Peter knows that we need to have a focus on God caring for us, because if we don't, we're not going to make this choice. We're not going to start submitting to God. You see, God doesn't ask us to humble ourselves because he needs to look good. God is good. God is the creator of the universe. God does not need you to bow down to him to feel good about himself. He loves you. While you're still sinners, while I am a sinner, he gives up his life for me. So he doesn't do this because he wants to look good. And so he needs more followers. He needs more accolades. He needs more people bowing and praising. He needs more people up on stage singing. That's not why God asks us to humble ourselves. It's because he cares for us. He understands, it says, Peter says right here, he says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter understands, the Holy Spirit understands that bound up in all of these things that we humble ourselves to is our fear and our anxiety. Why do you, why do you work so hard at your job When it becomes your life. Why do you work so hard on your self image and such that it becomes your life? Why do you seek to own things? You have no real business owning. It's because you're afraid. It's because you have anxieties. You are afraid of missing out. I am afraid of missing out. I'm afraid of people looking at me and and looking at me kind of sideways. Like, why does he do it that way? I'm afraid of people thinking that I'm not working hard enough. I'm afraid of all of these things. And you are too. And so we have anxiety about these things. And so it's not, it's not going to motivate us to humble ourselves before God if we think it's just because God has to be bigger and better than we are. He is bigger and better than we are. He doesn't need that. He cares for us. So Peter says, humble yourself because he cares for you. And humble yourself... Because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He uses these words, sober-minded and watchful. He used them previously. When I spoke a couple of weeks ago, I talked about this, how the Holy Spirit, part of the Holy Spirit's fruit in our lives, the action and activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives, is making us self-controlled, sober-minded, able to be watchful. Part of the way that God shows his care for us, it it says that he wants to exalt us, he cares for us, is he tells us what our adversary is doing, and he says, be watchful, be aware. Remember I said earlier that it's not mysterious. You don't have to to sit in a dark room afraid. What is the devil going to do? We know what the devil's going to do. He's going to look for pride in our lives. He's going to call it out. He's going to accuse us. And he's going to say, God, look, this person is just like me. They should be going where I'm going. That's his playbook. The devil's proud and he's drawn to pride. And when you're humble before God, I'm sorry, when you're not humble before God, you look like someone to devour. And when you are humble, you look like God because he's Lord of your life. So which would you rather have? Peter is laying it out before us. He's saying, Be watchful, pay attention. He says, Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What kinds of suffering is he talking about here? He's talking about temptation. He's saying everywhere there are believers, everywhere there are Christians, whether it's in your home or across the street or across the world, there are people who are being tempted to be proud in this way. And that is going to result in suffering because it's going to be a battle inside of you and in your families. And so understand that this is going on around you and take comfort from the fact that these other people are suffering in the same way. Not take comfort because they're suffering, but because you have brothers and sisters that you can walk with through this. You are not alone in this. God cares for you. Cast your anxieties on him. And now also be sober-minded and watchful and understand who your enemy is and what he's doing. He's drawn to pride. So does proactive resistance then mean that you should be looking for the devil under every rock and every tree? No. The devil is not omnipresent. Just like the Bible does not call him The Bible does not call him a red-skinned, horned monster, right? The Bible is clear. He is not God. He wanted to hold himself up to be like God, but he is not God. He does not have the power that God does. So who is he? What is he? He's a prowling lion. He's looking for someone to devour. So ask yourself, do I smell like meat? You should, right? Because you're made of it. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, do you look like someone who is ready to be devoured. Is your pride your most prominent feature? Because the devil wants to accuse you. That's his game plan. Call out your sin. We're going to turn here in a second to read James and Ephesians because the proactive resistance that Peter is talking about is standing firm in your faith. And that sounds kind of vague, and it sounds kind of hard to wrap your head around. But Peter is not the only one who talks about it. James does, and Paul does. And so I want to read through those passages together because I want you to have access to all of Scripture. Here's three of the most prominent writers in the New Testament telling us how to stand firm in our faith and how to resist the devil. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to James chapter 4. In James chapter 4, uh, James says very much uh, similar things to what Peter is saying, and then Paul says them in Ephesians. So let's look at these together. Let's hope my bookmarks are where they're supposed to be. There we go. James chapter 4, starting in verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James is talking about a proud person. He's talking about a person who is not being sober-minded, not being watchful, who thinks I have to secure the things for myself that I need. Because God's not going to do it. I can't be humble before God because God doesn't have my best interests in mind. I do. Right? That's the kind of person that James is describing. Starting in verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He says, like I said at the beginning, you cannot humble yourself before God in something else. Either you are choosing the world or you are choosing God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice in verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Those are held up next to each other. What does it mean to resist the devil so that he flees from us? It means submitting ourselves to God, humbling ourselves before the Lord. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. It's very much the same language that Peter is using. Peter and James know Jesus very well. They understand their Savior's heart. They understand that he cares for them. And I want you all to hear this. He cares for you. He wants to exalt you. He doesn't want to exalt you in the way that the world wants to exalt you. Jesus does not want to put you on a pedestal so that you get praise for your name. He wants to exalt you so that the kingdom of God would be advanced, so that more people would hear the gospel, so that more people would be saved. That's why he wants to exalt you. And he has the right time for that. But you need to humble yourself because you have an adversary. You are at war with Satan. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul explains, starting in verse 10. You guys are very familiar with this passage. A lot of you have heard this passage many times. If you're not, listen, it's good. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Those are the stakes. That's what's actually going on. Mothers, when you get up in the morning, and I might be speaking directly to my wife here, and your child looks at you and says, no, you are not at war with your child. You are at war with sin in your child. There are spiritual forces in this world that want to destroy us, that want to accuse us. So we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. And so Paul instructs, he says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the devil, I'm sorry, withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm, stand, to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. If you read Paul's journey, Paul had this idea that he was going to be the next best thing in Judaism. That he was going to stand up and proclaim loudly for the truth, for God. He was going to be God's chosen instrument. He was going to go and he was going to take people who were blaspheming, Christians, and he was going to haul them off to prison because he understood the truth better than they did. And God called him to humble himself. And Paul became meek. Paul became the kind of person about whom the the people who received his letters would say, yeah, you sound big and bad and strong when we read your letters, but then you come and you stand in our presence and you don't say anything and you don't do much and you just sit there and make tents. Because Paul had to learn to humble himself so that God could lift him up at the right time to advance the kingdom. Paul learned that he was proud. Paul learned that he smelled like someone who the devil wanted to accuse and devour. And he says, that's, it's not going to work if you exalt yourself. So you have to humble yourself and you have to stand firm in your faith. It's going to be a temptation for us to not stand firm in our faith. We're going to suffer, Peter says, after you have suffered a little while. He just assumes that it's going to happen. And again, this is suffering that has to do with temptation. You're going to be tempted, and that's going to result in suffering. And Peter knows that's the case firsthand. It happened to him. But he also knows it because he spoke with Jesus. Because he talked to Jesus after Jesus came out of the desert. Right. So Peter understands that we're going to have to suffer. He says, after you suffer suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter said just a few minutes before that we should cast all of our anxieties, all of our fears on him, because he cares for us. And now he's saying, "This same God, this same Jesus, is going to restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you." That's, that's where your hope ought to be. He cares for you and understand this is what he can do for you. But you have to trust him. You have to obey him. You have to be obedient. Will you believe this? Will you humble yourself before God? It's a choice. Every day you have to make this choice. When Paul says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand firm against the devil's schemes, he's talking about a daily practice. Right? Think about what would happen if you were a soldier and you put on your armor once. That was it. You never took it off, no matter what battles you'd been in. You never replaced it. Right? He's using this metaphor because it's a powerful one. A soldier is somebody who takes on or puts on and takes off armor before every battle and they prepare it, right? They make sure it's strong. These pieces of armor that he mentions, they're intentional. We need to be secure in our faith because there's a battle going on, but that requires us humbling ourselves. I have James one twenty here as a reminder. I'm not going to turn there, but James one is an excellent reminder of how easily how quickly we are tempted to not obey and not trust in God. James one 20 says, don't you know that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. When we are angry, Brooks said, he wants to write the book, right? That I'm, that I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. Other, other lies that people believe when we're angry, when we're angry, it's often because we perceive an injustice to us or to somebody else and we say I'm going to fix that through my anger. And that is that is us taking a stake and rubbing it all over our chest, right? Waving it at the devil. There are lots of ways in which we are tempted to not humble ourselves, and that's just one of them. To be angry to fix the problem ourselves, to take it and shake it until it understands. Right? That's just one of our temptations. But there are many. So will you humble yourself before God? Will you trust him to do what he says he will do in you? Or will you do it yourself? Will you idolize yourself? I don't want to go through all of these passages, but I want to point you to them. These are resources. So write them down. If you want resources, write them down. John 14 is Jesus talking to his disciples at the Last Supper. Right? John 14 ends with Jesus saying, let's go. They're they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're getting out of there. So this this is Jesus talking to his disciples about what life in Christ, about what life in humility, about what life humbling yourself to God looks like. So read John 14. It's what obedient trust looks like. Go to Matthew. Read chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And be reminded that when Satan tempts Jesus, it's... It's not anything that's crazy or strange or like smoke and mirrors. And again, like little red devil imp, you know, jumping around. That's not what's going on. Satan is tempting Jesus with the same things that we are tempted with. He tempts him with his stomach, right? He says, you're hungry. Let's make some, uh, let's some stones. Let's make some bread. Let's feed yourself. You should desire this food. Then he tempts him with like the pride of his eyes. He says, look at all these kingdoms, right? You can have these kingdoms. And he says, throw yourself from the temple, right? And the angels will bear you up. You should, you should be concerned about how you appear before men. These are temptations that we are tempted with. If you look at those three temptations, they basically cover the 10 commandments. Are you going to put God first? Are you going to humble yourself to him and trust in him? Or are you going to try and take all of these things for yourself? That's what's going on in Matthew, and that's exactly what Jesus was tempted with. And if that's what Satan brings to Jesus, for sure that's what he's going to bring to you. You think Jesus has more power to withstand temptation than you do? Probably. If you don't, you should. He does. Right? Jesus can handle this. He did handle this. So Satan brought those temptations to Jesus. He will certainly bring those temptations to you. So read Matthew chapter 4, 1-7. through 7. And understand this. Obedient trust looks like humble submission to God and proactively resisting temptation. I said it can't be uh, reactive. I said that's a problem. And it certainly can't be passive. Passive resistance doesn't work, right? You can't just stick your hands in your ears and shut your eyes. You can't ignore it. Because you are going to be challenged today to call yourself Lord of your life or to submit to God. You're going to be faced with anxieties today, fears today. Some of you have fears and anxieties that you walked in here with and they have not left your mind since the service started and they won't leave your mind when you leave. You are fearful about things. You're anxious about things. You're angry about things, right? If you were to come up and talk to me after the service, you could. some of you list two or three things that you are just so angry about. You just want to destroy the evil. You're going to take it out by yourself, right? Spiritual Rambo, just you. And it's not going to work. You're going to try and you're going to fail. You're going to be tempted along the way and you're going to make yourself into an idol and you're going to die. So obedient trust, resisting the devil, looks like humble submission to God and the proactive resistance to temptation, it's here in scripture, James told us, Paul told us, Peter told us. Here's what it looks like. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. In fact, he has drawn near to us. Remember this. Jesus needs to be your only source of hope. It's it's not that easy, right? I can put this up here and say your homework is to eliminate every source of hope that isn't Jesus, and you can just laugh at me because it's ridiculous, right? How are you going to do that? Remember what Peter said in chapter 5. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Remember, like Brooks talked about last week, that this is just like what Paul says elsewhere about taking off old clothes and putting on new ones, taking off an old self and putting on a new one. So, clothe yourself with humility. Think about it, approach it this way. If you're going to eliminate sources of hope that aren't Jesus, you're going to have to change what you're doing, you're going to have to repent is the word the Bible uses, right? Turn around, go the other direction. So do you find it difficult right now to not allow your job to be the Lord of your life? I'm going to tell you a secret. You might need to leave your job. You might have to leave your job. That's a possibility. You say, well, where's my money going to come from? Where's my family going to be provided for? If you go to God and you say, I have made my job an idol. I have made my career, my profession, and my self-exaltation an idol. And I don't want it to be an idol anymore, Lord. He will honor that. And he will exalt you at the right time. So maybe you can't walk in tomorrow and quit. Maybe you can't do that because you need to provide for your family. But if you desire to make God the Lord of your life, he will honor that desire. So clothe yourself with humility toward one another, certainly toward God. And remember what Peter says in the first chapter. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's hard to remember that Jesus is returning. Right? It's hard to remember when uh, you have small children and it's 4 o'clock and you're like, bedtime is how many hours away? Are you sure Jesus isn't returning today? You could come back anytime now, Lord. That'd be fine. It's hard to remember that Jesus is coming back. But that's what we're supposed to set our hope on. The grace to be revealed to us at his return. He has something better planned for us than we have planned for ourselves. In fact, he has been planning something better for us for all time. You guys know that we've been having uh, Advent. And if you guys are ushers right now, you're preparing communion, go ahead and go out and get communion ready. Uh, The worship team can start coming up. You guys know we've been lighting candles for Advent. The reason we do this, the reason we have these candles is to remind us that what we're waiting for is the coming of Jesus. That what people waited for for hundreds and thousands of years was the coming of Jesus. And so we have one more candle to light today. And this is called the love candle. And the reason it's called the love candle is because this is the ultimate act of love. Jesus coming to earth as a child, as a human, to save us. And if you've read 1 John, you know that it says God is love. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And some of us don't feel really good about that. Like that makes God sound weak. And that's because our definition of love is weak. There is no greater love than that you would lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus not only laid down his life for his friends, but he laid down his life for us while we were still sinners so that we might live through him and with him. So it's Advent, and we're waiting for Jesus, and we've lit the love candle because this coming Saturday, we're going to celebrate the incarnation, Jesus coming as a baby. But right here today, now we're going to celebrate communion because the incarnation, the incarnation anticipates the atonement. It anticipates Jesus coming and dying and giving his life up for us. It says, He sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. That was always part of the plan. So as the worship team plays and as they sing, reflect on what it means for Jesus to come knowing he was going to die. Come knowing that he was going to give up his life for you and for me, that he humbled himself to God's plan, even unto death. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for giving your body, for coming as a baby. Lord, so many of us have small children of our own, have nephews and nieces and grandchildren. We can't imagine giving up those children. Lord, but you gave up your one and only son that we might have life everlasting with you. And I praise you and thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I pray that we would see that and understand that you are good that it is good to humble ourselves before you. Lord, you want us to be able to resist the spiritual forces in this world. You've told us how. You've told us how to humble ourselves before you. Help us to do it today. Holy Spirit, give us the power, the self-control that we need to be sober-minded and to be watchful. Lord, give us the wisdom to not smell like a snack for the devil. God, I pray that you would help us right now as we get up, as we leave this place,
0: to glorify you in what we do and say, I ask it in your name, Jesus.